morning again and welcome to True North Church. Uh, my name's Phil. I'm one of the pastors here at the church and it's a, it's a great privilege to uh, bring something from God's Word this morning. You know, early this week I received a, a fantastic text message and, uh, and I got that message at quarter to six in the morning. Now normally that would instantly disqualify a message from being good, right? I reckon anything before 7, maybe 7.30, you get a message before then, it's like, that's not a good message. But this was a fantastic message. And it actually came from a, from a guy who, over a decade ago, for a period of time, used to come along to the youth ministry here in this church. And, uh, and it turns out that, that nowadays he's a brickie. And he was actually busy earlier this year working on building a church. And it happened to be a Merrill campus. And anyway, we, we kind of found that out a little while back, and he texted me a separate text message and say, hey, is it you guys building this church? He's like, yeah, I'm a brickie. And I was like, great, don't, don't stuff it up, as, uh, as, as guys kind of have that loving relationship. And, uh, and anyway, he, he woke me up with this text message the other morning, and, and I couldn't believe it. And, and it was simply this. This isn't a church goer. He had an experience of church a long time ago in the youth ministry here. And he says, next year at Easter, I want you to baptize me at the Merrill campus. That's what I woke up to. I'm like, okay, God, it's quarter to six. I've done my job for the day. I'm going back to bed. That's it. I'm done. I'm out. That, that isn't what I did, Dean. So I can... But, but it was that kind of moment where I thought, wow, that is such a unique and unusual thing for someone just out of the blue to come to me, to come to a person of faith and say, I want to be baptized. Really what he was saying, he was coming to me and saying, I want to make my life right with God. I want to make God real. I want it to matter to me. Can you help me do that? Now, how often are we having experiences like that? Not very often. That's kind of the first one that I can think of like that, that completely randomly someone would come to me and say, show me what it means to live my life knowing who Jesus is. We're not really having that experience, are we? You know, I, I love Jesus. I'm so passionate about my faith. I'm so overjoyed about what I have in the name of my Savior. But here's something that, that I really do believe when I think about our communities. I think about our city. I think about our nation. People aren't finding Jesus as much as they should. They're just not putting two and two together as often as they could. When I think about what Christ has done in my life, and I think about the world that's living around us, there's just not enough people that are saying, Jesus makes sense. I don't know if you have a similar experience when you think about the hope that you have in God. But that's certainly what I've been wrestling with this week. And coming out of that, I want to speak in today, I guess, uh, an image and a picture of the straight path. Can someone say the straight path? The straight path. We like a straight path, don't we? Not too crooked, not too many turns. A nice straight path. And, and here's the idea that, that I want to throw out to us as a church this morning, is that my life, that your life, can actually be somebody's path to finding Jesus. Now, I'm not talking about the things that I say. I'm not talking about maybe a message that I can give. But I'm talking holistically that my life, that your life, can literally become a path that someone can walk alongside you to discover who Jesus is. 
You know, I, I didn't come up with this idea and the imagery of, of the straight path connecting people and Jesus. In fact, it comes from the Old Testament, the prophet Isaiah, speaking of John the Baptist, that his ministry, that his mission preceding Christ was to make a straight path between people disconnected from God and Jesus. And we're going to spend some time in Luke chapter 3 this morning as we think about, about John the Baptist and, and what he was called to in the life that he lived. And, and here's how the, the gospel writer of Luke introduces uh, the passage before we get into it. We're going to start in verse 3. And speaking of John, he went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet. And, and I want you to, to read this slowly with me. And, and remember that this is a specific prophetic word for John. But, but I read this and I dream and I think, what could it be like if as a church, if as people of faith, this was the story of the life that we lived when it comes to connecting others to the hope of the gospel? Look at this. A voice of one calling in the wilderness. John lived out in the wilderness. We'll get to that later. And here it is. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in. Every mountain and hill made low. Isaiah's talking about the obstacles of faith, the things that might separate people from the gospel, that might separate people from Jesus. And he's saying that the hills, the mountains, they'll be made low. The valleys will be filled in. The crooked roads shall become straight. The rough waves smooth and all people will see God's salvation. He's saying this is the call of John the Baptist to take away the obstacles from people seeing Jesus for who he is. So what does it mean for us to prepare a straight path with the life that we live? How can my life, how can your life remove obstacles from people coming to faith, from people coming to Jesus? Because we know there's a lot of obstacles, right? So as a church, the thing that we're called to do is do our very best to remove obstacles. Maybe in the past, we've been the ones that have been throwing mountains in that path, digging out valleys in that path, throwing stones on the smooth way. But as the church, we're called to straighten, to smoothen, to remove the obstacles as best as we can so that people can walk a path towards Jesus. So let's think about John the Baptist. We know this is the calling that he has. And I love John as a character in the New Testament. If you've, never, if you've never studied or read too much about him, I'd encourage you to spend some time in the opening chapters of each of the Gospels. And you'll, you'll just see this wonderful picture of this unique guy. And he really was unique. And we'll, we'll start at that point. And, and when I think about John and the ministry that he had, there, there was just something different about him. He was a different guy. You look at him and you'd say, that isn't a normal Jewish teacher in first century Israel. That's not a normal guy. He's not living his life in a normal way because he had become profoundly captured by the gospel. He'd become profoundly captured by the coming Messiah. And here's where we need to start, that if we're going to live our lives in a way that creates a path towards Jesus, we need to be passionate about who he is. 
We need to have something that's in our soul that says, this is a path that I actually want to walk. That every step in that path is going to be with purpose, with joy, with strength, and with passion. And when we approach people that way, we shine a light on that path for people to find. Because there's something there that matters to us. Now, John, check out this description in Mark 1, verse 6. We don't have a, a description of his appearance in Luke, so we'll go over to Mark for a moment. And some of you would have heard this somewhat comical uh, description of, of John the Baptist. It says this in verse 6. Now, John wore clothing made of camel's hair. Anyone wearing camel's hair this morning? Is that a thing? Anyone into high fashion? Is camel hair back? I know you can get like a nice alpaca scarf. That's a thing, right? I've seen ladies donning that. I, I don't know if that's a thing. Michelle? No, okay, it's not. But anyway, he, he, made, he made clothing out of camel's hair. He wore a leather belt. Okay, that's pretty normal. Lots of us are wearing leather belts this morning. And, and around his waist. And his, his, he ate locusts and wild honey. Now, it's funny. Whenever I read this scripture, whenever I read this verse and I hear that, this was his diet. Locusts, I kind of always imagine him eating the locusts with like a side of the honey. So it's kind of like a dipping thing going. I was like... This, <laughs> Guys, this isn't so bad. This wild locust, bit of honey, kind of sits down, got a little bowl. I'm sure it wasn't quite that pleasant, but I've just always got this picture of John kind of chilling out. He's had a busy day baptizing down at the John. All right, it's time for some locusts and wild honey. Let's get amongst it. Disciples, join me. This is going to be awesome. They're like, all right, let's go. Uh, anyway, so, so here's the thing. John lived a different life. He lived out in the wilderness. And in fact, what he was doing was living a life in the tradition of the Old Testament prophets. Some commentators call them the desert prophets. So that's a pretty cool name. And all it means is, is that they, they kind of let go of a lot of the things that typically mattered in life to solely pursue God's call in their life. So it meant they were living in strange ways. And this is exactly what John was doing. He was so captured by the gospel, by the coming Messiah, that everything else in life just didn't matter anymore. He let it go. And it had a clear visual impact on his life. It's like, wow, this guy isn't living by the same set of rules. This guy's life is profoundly different because of how he sees the Messiah, about how he sees what God has called him to as part of that. His life look different. You know, I'm not saying that for us as people of faith today, we need to let go of everything and we need to become so strange in our approach to life that people say, whoa, yeah, Christianity, that is out there. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that I think there are some things we need to let go of. There are some things that we need to let go of to say, you know what? I'm going to live my life following Jesus with passion. And when we do that, people look at that path that we're looking on and they say, we're walking on it and say, wow, I think there's something in that. I think there's something in that life of faith. You know, the next thing that, that each of the Gospels really clearly identify about John and who he was and how he lived out his faith is that he allowed Christ to surpass self. He allowed Christ to surpass self. We're going to jump ahead to, to verse 15 in Luke chapter 3. And it says that the people, and get this first verse, it's powerful. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. 
Now, get a, get a glimpse of this for a moment. Here's this guy, John, whose life has been completely transformed by passion for Jesus. So much so that when people look at him, they think, hold on, what am I looking at right now? Am I looking at John right now or am I looking at Jesus? Is this the Messiah? You know, that's what passion does in our hearts. That when we live faith with passion, all of a sudden people start to see something in us that's actually in our soul. That when they look at your life, they see something bigger than just your name. They see something bigger than John. They see something bigger than Dean. They see Christ alive in you. They're like, hold on, I'm seeing something more in your life. I'm seeing more than just Phil. Is that Jesus in there? Is that Christ alive in your life? And when we allow Christ to surpass self, and we allow ourselves to be led by what matters to Christ rather than what matters to me, people will see Jesus when they look at you. And that's what people are experiencing in this moment. Although in this moment, they were doing it quite literally. They're like, well, this is the Messiah. And here's John's response. Of course, he shuts them down. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come. The straps, and this is an important image, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit with fire. So John brings this specific image of the sandals and untying the sandals. Now, something you've got to understand about John in this moment is that he's a teacher. He has disciples of his own. In the Jewish context, that teacher would have been called a rabbi. And and the rabbi would go around doing his things, and his disciples, his students, his followers would follow him passionately, intentionally. They wouldn't skip a beat. And if the rabbi said, I need you to do this, they'd they would go and do it. Or if they said, I need you to go and prepare the evening's meal, I need you to organize a donkey for the trip tomorrow, whatever it might be, they'd be like, yes, that's my job. I'm going to get that done. But there was something that a rabbi would never ask of his disciple in their culture, in their context. And it was this. He said, the disciple, the te- sorry, the teacher would never ask the disciple to take off his sandals because that was thought to be just too lowly a job. It's too dishonorable. It was too disrespectful that even the disciple, even the student shouldn't be allowed to untie the sandal of the rabbi. It was just too much. And then John, knowing this, he plays off it and he says, you know what? The one that's coming, I'm not worthy to untie his sandal. And the people here, they're like, whoa. Jesus has incredible value. Jesus has incredible power. Jesus has incredible significance in the life of John. Now, what does it look like for us to take on that attitude in our life and the way we follow Jesus? You know, there's a a big tension for all of us when it comes to, to, to how we live and lead our lives. And simply put, it comes around this. Is Jesus calling the shots? Or am I calling the shots? And here's the attitude that John has. I'm not even worthy to untie this guy's sandals. He is my, he comes first in every way in my life. You know, if we want to live our lives as a path towards Christ, Jesus has got to come first. In every decision-making process, in every life choice, in, in everything that we do, 
It's got to be what comes first to Jesus and not what comes first to me. Now, that, that gives us kind of a foundation, those two things about John. Profound passion for the gospel, allowing Jesus to come first in every way. That's kind of the heart foundation. If we genuinely want to see people come to know Christ, this has to be the foundation in our soul. These need to be values that are growing within us each and every day, that these things matter. Now, what John's going to do in the block of this text in Luke 3, which we're going to finish with today, he gives three pieces of instruction to three different groups of Jewish people. Now, before we get into it, I need to just remind you about who Israel was, about who they were as a people. Now, God's, God's plan for the world, to bless the world, was to do that through his covenant people, Israel. We hear that story throughout the whole Old Testament, that God was going to bless them, but with purpose. And that purpose was to be a blessing to all nations, that through them, everyone in the world would know the goodness of God. That was their calling as a people. And now John, preparing the way for Jesus, calls them back to that calling. He speaks about repentance. He says, you know, we can't rely on the fact that we're Abraham's children anymore. Our history is not enough. We need to be captured by this. That was his message. So really what he's calling them to is to be the called people of mission and purpose that God had always blessed them to be. And here's what he says to them. The first thing is this in verse 11. I'm going to give it this title. Live the message. Live the message. And John answers the people. Anyone who has two shirts, or a better translation would be two outer cloaks for, for kind of the cool desert nights. Anyone that has two outer cloaks should share with the one who has none. And anyone who has food should do the same. And really what he's getting at here is that we need to demonstrate before we communicate. We need to show the love of God before we talk about the love of God. I've been married now for eight years. That's pretty cool, right? Eight years. Anyone been married eight years? Same as me. It's a glorious year, eight years in. Yep. Just me at the moment. Uh, and and uh, that is definitely correct. I checked with my wife uh, before. Hey, she's not here. I wonder if we got one of those cool messages, your child needs attention. I've been kind of wondering when that would first come. I feel like that's kind of a significant moment in the life of the parent. Oh, that's our number. He needs attention. Let's go get him. <laughs> Uh, and I'm sure that's what every parent's thinking when that happens. Uh, I'm sure she wasn't if that was the case. Anyway, we've been married eight years now, which has been, been an awesome time. And, and honestly, I look back now and I realize how blessed I am that God brought my wife into my life. It's bad. I planned all this praise and she's not even here. Uh, but, but here's the thing. My wife tells me that she loves me quite a lot. She tells me that she does. She says that. She says, Phil, I love you. And that feels really nice. And it's completely true. I hope. <laughs> no, it's completely true. She speaks out. She says, I love you. She doesn't generally point at me like that. She says, I love you. And I know that it's true. But then alongside that, all the time she demonstrates that same truth. 
You know, one of the really special things for me on a, on a morning, maybe when I have to get up early, is, is when I'm in the shower and I just hear over the water the sound of the coffee machine grinding some beans. And I know, because my wife doesn't drink coffee, that she's doing that just for me. And in the shower, the hands go, and I just say, yes! And uh, the next door neighbors are thinking, what the heck's going on over there? But, but it's all those little things that go alongside that. That it isn't just a communication that Tash loves me, but it's a demonstration that she loves me. That she's patient with me when I do stupid things. Because husbands, come on, we're awesome, but we're not super smart all the time. She's patient with me when she's had a terrible day at home with Caleb. She demonstrates that love. Now, here's something important that we need to get our head around. Both of those things are true. When she says, when she communicates, I love you, it's true. When she demonstrates that she loves me, it's true. But which has a more profound impact on my life? It's the demonstration. That if I tell my wife that I I love her and I ignore her, I treat her badly, I don't have time for her, I'm short with her, I'm not gracious, what's the message that she's receiving? And this is what John's getting at. We need to live the message of faith. You know, I think one of the biggest troubles that people have when they think about God, when they think about Christianity, when they think about walking a path towards Him, is that sometimes they look at me and they think, He's saying one thing, but He's doing something else. You know, that's true of my life sometimes. That's true of all of our lives. And here's what John calls us back to. To say, you know what? Before we ever think about telling someone the message, we've got to be it. We've got to live it. So when we talk about walking that path, you know what we're really doing? We're inviting someone to walk with us on that path. And if I'm not doing it, no one else is going to look at my life and say, yeah, well, you're not really walking that path, but I think I might. We need to live it. The next group of people that John speaks to in verse 12, I come with this thought. Live with integrity. Live with integrity. Live with character. Another group of Jewish people come, the tax collectors. And it says this in verse 12, even the tax collectors came to be baptized and they said, teacher, they asked, what should we do? What should we do? Now, now really quickly, something you just got to understand about tax collectors is that, that they were Jewish people that were employed by the Roman government that had authority over Israel at that time to collect taxes on behalf of Caesar. So they weren't really popular guys in the Jewish context. But to make things worse, because of the authority that they had, they had this terrible temptation to take more than what they should for their own personal gain. And because they were hated, because they were already maligned and and pushed to the side by the Jewish people, you can imagine that that would just make them think, well, you know what, I'm already viewed as a jerk, let's really lean into this. And, And they had this temptation to take more than what they needed. And here's how John replies to it. I love it, it's just so simple. Don't collect any more than you're required to, he told them. You know, character matters. 
my life tells a story about how Jesus has impacted me. Your life tells a story about how Jesus has impacted you. Now, now let's go back to that image of the straight path for a moment. And, and remembering that really what we're doing is we're inviting someone to walk that path with us. We're inviting someone to walk that path with us. Now, when I tr- attempt to do that, but have issues in my character that I'm not willing to address, it's like I'm sprinkling stones on that path in front of me. And then I invite someone to walk with me. And they've got to kind of navigate all this stuff that doesn't line up with the message that I'm trying to say. There's all these things on the path that now they have to awkwardly walk around. That when I talk about a gracious and loving God, yet treat others with judgment and a lack of grace, it puts a stone in the path. They're like, wait, this doesn't add up. Now, here's why this matters. Because that path, your life, could be the only Bible they ever read. Could be the only message of the gospel they ever encounter. Could be the only picture of a gracious and loving God that they ever see. You know, for each of us, there's a space and a place in our life that we need to work on a little bit more. That we need to say, Jesus... I want to live my life more like you. Not just because you call me to it. Not just because it's best for my own life. Because really, that's one of the things that are going to help people walk that path and say, you know what? This is something that is good. This is something that has a real impact on people's lives. It's something about the gospel that transforms character. Let's stop throwing out stones on the path. The final group of people John speaks to is a group of Jewish soldiers. And similar to the tax collectors, they operated under the governance of the Romans and they had a a similar deal where they had the temptation to falsely accuse and extort money and and do, do things that just weren't really good. They weren't a liked group of people once again. And in verse 14, it says this, Then some soldiers asked him, And what should we do? He replied, again, quite simply, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. And here's the key. Be content with your pay. You know, if we want to live our lives as a pathway for people to find Jesus, we need to understand what it is to live with contentment. To live with contentment. And for me, when I go back to that picture of the path, I see a straight path to Jesus in my life, the crookedness of that path comes when there's a failure of contentment in my heart. The crookedness in that path comes when all of a sudden I'm captured by the material over the spiritual. Now, this is such a difficult tension to navigate, and this by no means is something that I've worked out, but this is something that I do understand as a battle in me almost every day. And I think that's the starting point, is recognising that we really are drawn to discontentment. We're taught it. In everything we see all the time, we're taught that we should have more, that we should have better. You know, one of my favourite series that we did in our, our church over the last few years was something from North Point called The Comparison Trap. Anyone remember that? 
It's a, a fantastic thing because it's like no matter how many times you hear that, there's something about that message that just puts a knife right in your soul that says, you know what? Oh. As we look around and we picture and we imagine how our lives could be better in any number of different ways, a nice new house, a nice new car, whatever it might be, it takes our focus off Christ puts all kinds of detours in our life. Now, again, this is just something that I want, want to invite you to start wrestling in. And it kind of goes back to that picture of John the Baptist who, who kind of let go of everything else and said, this is my life focused on Jesus to help other people move in that direction. The entirety of his life. All I'm asking today is that we take a step in that direction. And ask the question, what would that look like for me? What would that look like for you? What would have to change? Maybe just one thing. What would have to change? You know, ultimately, John the Baptist loses his life for the cause of Christ. At the end of this passage, he's thrown into prison for some choice remarks that he had about a king at the time. And eventually, his life's taken from him in prison. John literally laid down everything for the cause of Christ. So all I'm asking is, what will you lay down? What will you lay down to make a straight path in your life for someone to find Christ? Because there's something. There's something. I don't know what it is, but I want to invite you to consider what it might be. What's the thing for me to let go of self? So, you know, I'm going to become passionate about the faith that I have. I'm going to allow Jesus to become greater and me to become less. I'm going to think about what it means to live with integrity going to think about what it means to actually live the message of my faith and not just talk about it. And think about what it means to live with contentment so that more of my life could be focused dead center on who Jesus is. I invite the team to, to come back. And we're, we're going to sing that song again, Just One Touch. There's one particular line in that song, just one touch, every mountain swept away. And I, and I heard that a little bit differently this morning after reflecting on this passage and Isaiah's prophecy of John saying that every mountain would be made low, swept away, every valley filled in, the rough ways made smooth so that people could find Jesus. You know, we're going to sing that song in this moment. And I'd love to pray for you before we do that there'd be something from this word this morning that could inspire change in your life. Maybe you already have that in your heart already. And I just love to pray into that. Let's stand together. I'm going to pray. Then we're going to worship God. God, once again, we thank you that your presence is here in this moment. Jesus, that you're right here, right with us. And God, I guess we recognize together as people of faith that, that maybe people aren't finding you as much as they could, Lord. And Jesus, I pray that, that even in this moment, you'd shift something in our hearts 
that would allow us to live that message in a deeper way, Lord God. God, I'm not talking about what it means strategically, how to have these conversations, but God, that something in our soul would shift towards you, Lord God that there'd be a new passion for your name, a new passion to walk that path ourselves, Lord God. And God, I pray that we could bring others in on that journey, Lord. Lord, I pray that this church would see more and more baptisms, that this church would see more and more people asking the question, what does it mean to live my life for Jesus? And God, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would give us those answers, Father. Jesus, we want to see people know you. And God, for any of us that would pray it with me this morning, we want to be a part of that, Lord. We want to be a part of that. Praise you, God. Let's worship him.